Thank you, Ms. Carroll. Ms. Heidi, appreciate that much. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, if you find your Bibles and join me there. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, and we'll be there in just a few moments as we look at a couple passages there. Appreciate you being here this morning, and uh, I'm excited about being in the Lord's house, about being here with you, and about studying God's Word. I hope you and I will be able to feast and eat on it today and glean much from it. 2 Corinthians chapter number 10, the title of the message is simply this, three tools every Christian needs to possess and use. Three tools that every Christian needs to possess and use. I am thankful uh, that I own and possess a variety of different tools that I've come to own over the years. I'm grateful for that. I, I find out the more jobs and tasks that I have to do, especially around the house, the more tools I need. At least that's what I tell my wife. Amen? And uh, I don't know many guys who don't like tools and uh, don't like to have as many tools as you can. And, and uh, you find out you need something. And boy, it's nice to get the right tool for the right job. It's, it's great just to have tools that, that do specific things and so forth, and it's just good to own the right tools, to have them in your tool bag, to make sure you can tackle any task or the task at hand to do the job and get it done. I also found out that uh, there are certainly tools that are created. I've worked on cars very minimally, but sometimes I run across where they have one tool that only does one thing. You ever find that out? And you don't have it, and uh, it's kind of frustrating at times, and that one tool you need to, to do the one job. So there are some tools that are created just to do one specific job, and because of that, they are are limited in how often you use them. However, I've also found out that there are other tools in our toolbox. Sometimes they're a multi-tool or something like that. It becomes our favorite go-to tool. It's the thing that we always like to carry with us or carry in our toolbox. And uh, it's the one that we'll use more than any other to do a sundry different tasks and jobs. I've been around carpenters and uh, electricians and plumbers and things like that and even just skilled workers before and I've noticed that they have a tool that they really carry with them. Like this is my favorite tool. They'll tell you my most valuable tool. This is the one I use the most uh, or most often. I I carry it to every job uh, site and everything else and so it's a favorite tool and I have a few like that or a couple like that that I keep close by. I know where they're at because those are the tools I most use and those are the tools that seem to come in handy all the time. And so I'm grateful for that. Well, God in heaven through his word has uh, instructed you and I uh, to have a couple tools, a few tools close at, ho- at hand uh, because with proper use, they're going to prove to be the most valuable tools that you could ever own. They're tools that will come in handy almost every day. Uh, frankly, they will come in handy every day. They're tools that you and I should say, okay, I, I'm not leaving home without it. I, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to ha- go through any day without picking up and this tool and using it. So God has given us that. Number one, here's the first one, and I just describe it this way. Number one, grab and swing a hammer. Okay, grab and swing a hammer. And so I have brought one of my hammers here today, okay? So this is fun to use, okay? A hammer, and uh, in the right hands it's good, and the wrong hands like mine it's bad. But anyway, it can cause a lot of problems, right? A hammer's good. It does a lot of things. It's both positive and, and, and building up construction. We would say that's edifying, no doubt. The Bible t- tells us to edify one another. We're supposed to be edified. But I like a hammer too because it can destroy things. 
It can tear down things. Boy, you can use that claw on the back and everything else, and you can tear down things. I've had the privilege of being part of some demolition of uh, houses and things like that, and that comes in handy because it can tear down things. Now you say, all right, Pastor Henry, you're literally telling me that God in heaven said, carry a hammer with you every day. Well, he did, but not that hammer. Here's what he said in Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 29. Is not my word like as a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? Now listen, God literally says the word that you and I have in our hands right here is like a hammer. God's word is a hammer. It's the hammer that you and I ought to grab all the time. Um, We would likely say, and many of you, if not all of you, would agree that we need to grab God's word and take it with us wherever we go. We need to hide it in our heart. But let me ask you why. Well, certainly that idea of edification, a a hammer can build beautiful things, much like this building. I'm sure a hammer was used many times in many hands. As we think of a home or something else, a hammer is used to edify, to build up. Uh, And certainly that is the case. There's no doubt about that. But another reason why God says his word is like a hammer that we need to use, listen, it breaks the heart that can be hard as rock. It can tear down things. It can uh, uh, tear down and break the, the rock that gets in our heart where we get hardened to what God has said, how he has instructed us, and we've hardened our heart against resisting what God has said. And boy, the hammer of God's word can come in handy. It can bring down spiritual walls. I've had the privilege of using a hammer before to tear down an interior wall. Thankfully, it wasn't load-bearing. And uh, Tear that down and, and uh, destroy, to tear it down, to use a hammer. To, can I tell you, sometimes we as believers can put up spiritual walls in our lives and in our hearts. And my friend, the hammer of God's word can be used to tear that down. So God can get through and speak and we can respond and do what we're supposed to do uh, in accordance. Here in Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, I believe that the hammer of God's word is certainly implied in the passage. Look at verse 4, Second Corinthians chapter number 10. Notice it. For the weapons of our warfare, and we could even say the tools, really, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations in every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. The knowledge we have of God, the knowledge that we have from God, things that exalt itself against it. Now notice, in bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of of Christ. In verse 4, you see the statement of pulling down. It's an interesting word. The, the, the Greek word there literally means demolish. Okay, It literally means demolish. That's the definition of the word. In fact, uh, the word is translated in other places. You see it here as destruction. In the scripture, the same Greek word is destruction. So when it says here in verse number four that our weapons, and certainly, boy, we're talking about God's word. It's a tool. It's a hammer. It can pull down. It can destroy strongholds. Now, may I ask you this morning, what strongholds are in your life right now that the world, the flesh, Satan has erected? What kind of things in your life right now that, that hey, young person, maybe it's attitude, maybe it's a spirit, maybe it's disobedience, whatever the case may be. Hey, adult, what, what is it in your life right now that's a stronghold that says, okay, it's been erected. It's something that the devil and the flesh and the world has helped and influenced to be erected, built up in your life. You know what the Bible says? We ought to pull that down. We ought to get God's word and allow God to go to work through his word this morning and pull it down. 
to demolish it, to destroy it. The word in uh, verse 5 that is translated as casting down is a variation of the same word, and it's translated even as destroy. It means demolish too. At least two places in the Bible it's translated as such. How does it describe it? The imaginations of our life, our heart, the things that we think of that go contrary to the knowledge of God. Now notice it, every high thing that is against God, contrary to the knowledge of God. So we have to ask ourselves this, is there something in my life today, a a thought, uh, something that I'm thinking, I'm operating based off of, that is a high thing that's gone against contrary to what God says? Is there something I think about myself? Is there pride? Is there something that I've allowed in, an imagination, a high thing in my thinking that is contrary to the knowledge of God? And the Bible says, boy, cast it down, tear it down. Use the hammer of God's word and demolish it. Cast it away. Cast it down. See, we're encouraged to grab and swing the hammer that is God's word. Let it soften your heart. Let it break apart and destroy those uh, thoughts and opinions that aren't good for us to have in our mind and in in our lives, for us to entertain. Let God's word do its job. But I sense sometimes we don't allow that to happen. We don't allow God's word to be a hammer. We, we, uh, it doesn't really edify us. It doesn't really, we don't allow it to do its job. We don't pick it up and use it in our own lives. Uh, give it to the Holy Spirit so he can edify us or tear down those strongholds. We just kind of endure them being there. My friend, I want to tell you right now, if you have a copy of the word of God, as all of us do, you have a powerful tool. God's Spirit, He wants to use in your life and mine to do great things, to eliminate some things that ought not to have been there. H.A. Ironside, and many of you have probably heard his name, great preacher, great commentator. Uh, he, at the age, early age of 16, in fact, I think he was 15, when he went into the Salvation Army. He was out in California there, and he, he, he worked there many, many moons ago and, uh, in the Salvation Army, holding services and things like that. He gave account. I know it's lengthy, but I trust it'll be encouraging to you. He, he wrote this. For some two weeks, I had noticed a handsome blonde man who always occupied the same seat about halfway down the hall on the left side from the platform. And he seemed to be listening with great earnestness. So much so that I couldn't get his face out of my mind and felt sure that God must be dealing with him. On several occasions, I made an effort to speak to him before he reached the front door. But it seemed that he did not want to speak with anyone. The moment the last prayer was given, he would quickly leave. This has been going on for over two weeks, when on one particular evening, he came in a little later than usual. The meeting was already in full swing, and every seat occupied except two, right down in the front of the auditorium. He came timidly up the aisle. He looked to the left and and the right for a place, and he finally slipped into one of the two vacant seats down there in the front. He sat there holding his hat in his hand and looking as if he felt somewhat like a fish out of water, very uncomfortable because of being so near the speakers. Mentally, I said, well, young man, I've got you tonight. For I knew that he did not, uh, that he, that if he did not leave before the last prayer, that uh, afterward he could, I could reach him. And so it happened. The moment the meeting was dismissed as he turned to go, the aisle was full and I stepped over uh, to him quickly and asked if he would mind sitting down for a few moments conversation. He looked as though he did mind, but he was polite enough to say that he did not, so I took him at his word rather than his looks. Conversation ensued very much as follows, so nearly as I can remember it. 
Ironside said, I have noticed you here for a number of nights and wanted to speak to you before. May I ask you if you're a Christian? As he endeavored to reply, I saw that he had difficulty with his speech. In fact, he stuttered very noticeably, and he was evidently very nervous. He replied, no, certainly I am not. Well, have you any desire to be? Well, that is a difficult question to answer, I can hardly say. Well, just what is your attitude then toward Christianity? You want to label me, do you? Said the young man. In that case, it is rather hard to say what my attitude is. If you had asked me a few weeks ago, I would have told you I was an atheist. But tonight, if you must label me, you would have to call me an agnostic. Well, Ironside said, you are making progress anyway. I certainly have much more respect for a person who says, I don't know, than for a man who can look out over this wonderful creation and deliberately say there is no God. May I ask what has led you to this change? He told me that he'd been brought up in a very cultured but infidel home. Both his parents in England were unbelievers who scornfully rejected the Bible as a revelation from God. He graduated from Cambridge University and there and afterward had identified himself with atheistic groups. But recently, he had been struck with the great change which had taken place in a man who had professed conversion some time before and whom he knew well. This man had been a drunkard and a gambler and a well-known character in the city. The change in his life had been marvelous, and everyone who came in contact with him realized it. There is something there, the young man realized, for which my philosophy can't account. I would never have believed that so great a change could have come over anyone so suddenly. I know it is not willpower, for that man has tried over and over again to free himself from the liquor habit. But when he became what you call a Christian, he was delivered instantly. It has set me to thinking. And so I've been attending your meetings, and what I've heard and seen has convinced me that there must be some supernatural power at work. So now I call myself an agnostic rather than an atheist. Ironside replied, have you read the Bible? Well, young man said, not until recently. I have read scores of books against the Bible, but I have never taken the trouble to read the Bible itself until these things begin to exercise me. I bought a copy of the scriptures at a second-hand bookstore for 25 cents, and I've been reading it every evening after going home from the meeting, but somehow I, I cannot seem to make it out. Ironside asked, have you read the story of Jesus Christ? Young man replied, you mean the Gospels? Yes, but to be perfectly frank, I've ridiculed the entire story of his miraculous birth, his resurrection, and other things so long that I find it very difficult to take it seriously. The last few evenings, I've been reading the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament. My, how that fellow can sling the language. I have always been a great admirer of oratory, and the real eloquence holds me spellbound. But I've never read anything uh, finer than the speeches of that old prophet. I was thinking last night that if I could only be a Christian by believing Isaiah and did not have to believe the New Testament, I would be prepared to make the change immediately. Opening my Bible... I said, I'm going to read you a passage from the book of the prophet Isaiah. I will read about an unnamed man, and when I finish, I want you to tell me whom I'm reading of. Oh, he replied, that would be quite impossible. I'm not familiar enough with the Bible to do anything like that. I do not think you will have any difficulty. Just let me read it to you. Ironside says, and so I read the entire famous 53rd chapter which speaks of Jesus Christ as our Savior, going like a lamb to the slaughter, 
wounded for our transgressions. By his stripes we are healed, the passage says. When I had finished reading, I said to the young man, Now of whom was Isaiah speaking? (laughs) Eagerly he exclaimed, Let me read that for myself. I handed in the Bible and watched him carefully as he read. Several times I noticed him furtively wipe away a tear. He was quiet for a few moments after his lips ceased to move. Then handing the Bible back to me again, he said, Well, I must confess that it looks like Jesus. Ah, there is no difficulty in recognizing the portrait, is there, he said, Ironside. Now let me give you a nut for skeptics to crack. That description of the life and death and intimation of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ was written about 700 years before our Savior was born in Bethlehem. How do you account for that? Young man replied, well, can you prove that statement? How do you know it was written so long ago? Ironside replied, well, of course, I am simply accepting the record that Isaiah lived in the 8th century before Christ. But if you reject uh, the testimony of Scripture, I cannot prove it. But there is something else in connection with it that anyone who cares to investigate may prove for himself. The scripture was translated from the Hebrew into Greek and uh, that of the Old Testament, disposited in the library of Ptolemy Philadelphus in Alexandria, Egypt, about 230 years before the birth of Christ. It must have existed in the Hebrew for some years before it was translated into Greek. It is a great miracle to produce it in Greek over two centuries before the birth of the Lord Jesus as to write it in Hebrew seven centuries before. How did Isaiah know of these things except by divine inspiration? The young man looked fixedly at me for a moment or two. And then without a word, he rose to his feet and hurried from the hall. I wondered why and learned afterward that he had not wanted me to see that he was overcome with emotion and could not restrain his tears. I went to my room to pray for him. The next evening I looked for him, but he did not appear. Nor on the second evening, nor on the third. But on the fourth night he came in just after the meeting had begun. As he looked in the door, his eyes caught mine. There was something about his face that told me a great change had occurred. He walked boldly up the aisle. He took a front seat and participated in the singing. And the moment an opportunity was given for testimony, he was on his feet. Instantly, I dreaded his attempt to speak. I thought that his tendency to stutter might make him seem confused, if not actually ridiculous. But though he had difficulty with the first word or two, his stammering soon disappeared. And he spoke right on in a firm, clear voice. I cannot reproduce his exact words, but I shall never forget the substance of his testimony. He said something like this. My dear friends, I want to tell you tonight that after years of infidelity and unbelief, God has revealed Jesus Christ to me as my Savior through the 53rd chapter of the book of the prophet Isaiah and smote my heart with it, which I have read over and over and over again in the last few days and nights. I have passed through deep exercise because of my sins. I felt as though I had sinned too greatly for God ever to forgive me. But tonight I am certain that he has forgiven me of all my sins through the merits of Jesus Christ. There is one confession that I feel I must make in this public way. I graduated from Cambridge University in England as a civil engineer. And I was one of the first groups sent out to survey the railroad from Jaffa to Jerusalem in the land of Palestine. I cannot tell you how strangely I was affected by everything I saw in the land. 
The very stones of Palestine seem to rise up against my unbelief and declare that the Bible is true. But I told myself that this was all superstition. I refused to believe it. One day, a group of us were taken by a guide outside of Damascus, uh, uh, the Damascus Gate, excuse me, to what was known as Gordon's Calvary, the place where General Gordon thought he had identified the actual scene of the crucifixion. As we stood on the top of that skull-shaped knoll, it came to me with much force that there, Christianity, which I had regarded as a delusion, really began. The young man continued, my anger flamed up. I burst forth in uncontrollable cursing and blasphemy. Afterward, uh, excuse me, um, uh, blasphemy, so that even my ungodly companions were afraid and ran from the spot. They told me afterward that they thought a bolt from the blue would strike me dead for cursing on that sacred place. But, oh, my friends, I have learned in the last few nights that the one whom I cursed on Calvary's hill was wounded for my transgressions, bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was laid upon him, and with his stripes I am healed. He could say no more. His feelings overcame him. And he sank into a seat with our hearts filled with great joy and gratitude. With rejoicing, we took up that old familiar strain. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood avails for me. The young man in question had a splendid bass voice and soon his delight to help sing the gospel to others. I can see him yet singing some of the grand old hymns of the church in those deep, rich tones which carried so much conviction with him. His stay on earth was not very long after that, but within a year he was called to be forever with the Lord who had redeemed him with his precious blood. May I just tell you, friend, God's word is a hammer that breaks the hardest heart. Think of it, if you would. The word of God is that powerful hammer. It can break the hardest heart of the greatest skeptic, the greatest atheist, and the greatest agnostic. It can also destroy in our minds and hearts as believers, in our lives, things that shouldn't be there. That's why we've got to pick it up and grab it. That's why we've got to use it. We've got to swing that hammer of God's word in our lives. We must pick it up and use it, allowing it to have full admittance in the heart and our spirit. God adds to it by instructing us to pick up another tool. Notice it. He says this, not only grab and swing the hammer, but grab and wield a sword. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 17 says this, and take the, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, and how does he describe it? Which is, what's the sword of the Spirit? It is the word of the Lord, the word of God. Now you say, Pastor Henry, wait a second, wait a second. That hammer was the word of God. Yeah, don't you love multi-tools? Salvation, you know, it's the, the Swiss Army knife, excuse me. Don't you love that? One tool that does it all. May I tell you, that's God's word, amen? One hand and one time, it's a, it's a hammer breaking down things, tearing down, edifying things in our life, tearing down those things, that, those imaginations and high things against the knowledge of Christ. In the other hand, mine, at other times, what is it? Oh, my friend, it is a sword. And I love Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. Turn with me there, will you? We'll look at a few passages here too. Hebrews chapter 4, look at verse number 12. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. You probably know it. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Man, what a description. 
Okay? It's quick, it's powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to pierce and divide asunder the toughest of things. And boy, I love what it says at the end. What does it describe it as? It's this grand sword. It says it's a discerner. You know what that word means? It literally means this. It is a skilled judge. We know something about judge, especially right now in America, amen? Uh, judges and things, you know, okay? A skilled judge. This is a skilled judge. The word of God is a skilled judge for what? The thoughts and intents of my heart. Now, that's an important statement. You know why? You know, you know I, why I, I, man, I see that verse and I grab hold of it because, man, that's, that's important to me. You know why? Because the Bible tells me that my heart is desperately wicked. My intents and my thoughts of my heart are not all that they should. You say, well, Pastor Henry, aren't you saved? Don't you have, aren't you a new creature in Christ? Praise the Lord, I am. But the reality is this. The process of sanctification is going to take place after I'm saved, and it involves the renewing of my mind through God's Word which is that sword that's dividing asunder and is a discerner of the thoughts and intent of my heart. And so, man, why is that so important? Well, the Bible tells us the other reason that's important, because why? Keep thy heart with our diligence. Why? For out of it are the issues of life. All those thoughts and intents that I have, if I don't wield that sword and say, okay, you be the judge, is this the right thought? Is this the right intent, the motive of my heart? I mean, we're talking intent. In, in the court of law, intent's a big deal, isn't it? Premeditation, the intent, the motive behind it is huge. And so the Bible's telling you and I as Christians, boy, allow God's word to be the sword that pierces your heart and says, okay, this is good. So, for instance, okay, and this is my favorite part of the service, okay. Okay, so we get the wheel of sword, right? The God's word of sword. So it divides, man, cleave in half. That's fantastic. Not nearly as big as William Wallace's sword. But anyway, okay, it's still a good sword, all right? So listen, hey, the, the fact that God's word divides, it helps me. It's a skilled judge to decide, okay, intent, thought, is that right? Is that good? That's God's word. I need that because the heart is desperately wicked. Even after I'm saved, the old flesh is there, and the world and the devil's trying to impact and influence me. I mean, I need to wield a good sword. I need the power to, to delineate. Now, interesting, in this verse here, the word for issues is translated, Hebrew word, it's translated in many other verses. In fact, it's used more often than not other places as the word goings. Now, isn't that Interesting. Out of the heart are our goings, our doings. So what we do comes from our heart. Now the Bible says we ought to wield the sword of God's word to help us discern the thoughts and intents of my heart. Make sure that they're in keeping with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Make sure that they're in keeping with what God's word would have me to think about. So can we just derive it into a statement? We put it this way. Get your heart right and your goings will be right. So keep your heart with our diligence. Get your heart right. Because once you get your heart right, guess what? You'll get your goings right. What you do and where you go, what you do in life, the goings of life, the living of life, you'll get it right if you get your heart right. And what helps me do that? It is the sword, which is the word of God. So we are encouraged to pick up and wield the sword of God's word. Now, you say, okay, Pastor Henry, I get that. That makes sense. God's word is that. But the bigger question for us as believers is this, okay? What kind of sword are you making God's word into in your life? 
Which kind of sword are you creating or using God's word as in your life? Is it this one where, boy, the devil sees you coming and you have God's word, man. You, it, you're familiar with it. You've trained with it. You've learned it. And, boy, it's just like a, another piece of it. You're ready to go to battle spiritually. It's a sword. And, boy, you know what? Praise the Lord you have a sword like this. Well, but maybe you treat God's word. It's more like this. Come on, I'm ready. A butter knife, or a knife, whatever the case may be. You say, oh, Pastor Henry, that's silly. Now listen to me, listen, okay? This would have sounded a lot better with the other sword. <laughs> hey, listen, okay? You know what? If you and I don't know God's word, if we don't hide it in our hearts, if we don't learn the precepts and his teaching and all these things that, that God would have us to know about God, can I tell you, you and I are going to spiritual battles like this. Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday. We're not in God's Word. We're not having devotions. We're not studying God's Word. We're not trying to learn it and meditate upon it, allow it to uh, permeate our thinking and our heart. We're not going to, man, we go to spiritual battles like this. The old saying was like this, carrying a knife to a gun battle, right? To a gunfight. You know, spiritually, sometimes we do that. We pick up God's word, and, and I don't really, I don't read it much during the week. I, I hear it preached, but I don't take it to heart. I really don't, I don't really apply it. And man, we're going throughout the week like this. And can I tell you what Satan looks like? Big grin on his face. And yet you and I have the sword of God's word. I'd love to walk in mire and see what people look at like this, you know, when I'm all just carrying this around. A little scary, a little, yeah, you know what, it's a little intimidating. It's a, wow, you know what, I don't want to mess with that guy. <laughs> May not be legal, but anyway, <laughs> I don't want to mess with that guy. Can I, I'm serious. I, I'm joking about it. I'm serious. Boy, wouldn't it be great to go in spiritual battles like this with Satan? Wouldn't it just be great to say, you know what, I know God's word so well. I've studied it. Hey, I read God's word this morning. I'm meditating on my heart. I'm thinking about it in my, in my mind. And as I'm going throughout this day, and boy, Satan's coming with temptation, I'm ready. I'm ready. Which sword are you carrying? What have you turned God's word into? Is that the sword that you're carrying on a daily basis? I mean, Satan and his henchmen see you coming, and, and they, boy, they want to trip you up. They want to stop you from doing right. Which sword are you carrying? This is not exactly what Hebrews 4.12 describes. Sharp and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged quick. <laughs> than t- sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing. Dividing asunder. A discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. You know, constantly pick up God's word. You're wielding it often and frequently. Yeah. One of the things about sword play, if you know anything about sword play and, and the medieval age and things like that, you've got to practice with a sword to become familiar with it, the weight of it, the feel of it, how it feels in your hands, so you can really fight. You can do something. You know what you need to do with God's word? Become familiar with it. So you can wield it. So you can hold it in such a way that you are ready to attack. You are ready to defend. You are ready to do what it needs to do. To use it in such a way that it is beneficial for you. May I tell you this morning, God wants you to wield the sword. He wants you to be ready. He wants you to handle the things that the devil and the world and our old flesh throws at us. Can I encourage you to ask yourself this morning, which sword do you have in your hands right now? This past week, how'd you go throughout the week? 
Was it this or was it that? What did you turn God's word into in your life? Number three, and we'll be done. Number three, third tool. Carry and swing the hammer. Grab and wield the sword. Number three, carry and use a mirror. Carry and use a mirror. Turn with me to James chapter 1, if you will. We're in Hebrews. We'll just turn over to the right a few pages. James chapter 1, verse number 22. Verse number 22, James chapter 1. Familiar passage, powerful passage. Shared this with some of our teenagers in, uh, here at the school and in a chapel a few weeks ago. Notice what it says. But be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. And that's a great statement because it's challenged us that here's, here's a way you can deceive yourself. Here's a way that we can falter and fail uh, as believers. For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like unto a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. But whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be blessed in his deed. Now, what are we told? Well, first of all, we're told that he who reads or uh, hears the word but doesn't heed it, doesn't obey it, what does verse 25 call them? A forgetful hearer. And he says, who is deceiving himself. So self-deception. We, we kind of say, oh yeah, everything's fine, that's great, perfect. And we, we really don't heed it. We really don't obey it, if we could put it that way. It's really just a believer who merely, did you catch the terminology? He merely beholds them, himself in the word. Um, as verses 23 and 24 state, okay? Verse 24, he starts out, for he beholdeth himself. Verse 23, a man beholding his natural face in a glass. Now listen, don't miss this. This is great, okay? So in that statement, the term for beholding, the Greek statement there, it literally means looking from a distance. So when he says he beholdeth, he's just looking at it from a distance. Uh, in fact, the word literally ca- carries the idea of standing erect, gazing into a mirror that's pretty far away, but not doing so with the intent to learn something from it, to gain something, to take something away from the time spent looking into it. We would put it this way. It's a quick look, but with little regard. That's what the word behold, okay? So uh, just for sake, okay, here's the third tool. See how look good you guys look? Okay, anyway. Here's the third tool, okay? A mirror, right? It is one of my children's. You can probably guess which one it is. Carson. Okay. Uh, <laughs> kidding. Sorry. Uh, okay. All right. So, now, uh, it's a tool, right? Okay, so this word beholdeth. Now, this is, this is important. When he says beholdeth, it's like taking this mirror, and hopefully we, we've looked in a mirror this morning. But it's like from far away. So, Pastor Aaron, you hold that? Excellent. Okay. So it's like for me, from here, looking there, I can't even see myself, but it's close. Okay, there we go. Okay, a little bit better. Good. Okay, so it, it's like this, gazing. Now listen, we know because we use mirrors. None of you in your bedroom or your bathroom use a mirror like this to get ready. I can't hardly even see anything, but I will say it looked better from this distance. Anyway, uh, okay, we don't do that. It's far away. Why? Because I can't get anything from that. I'm not going to learn much. It's not going to reveal much of what I need to fix. Catch it? Okay. So uh, it's from a distance. It's not, it's not doing It's not going to benefit me. Okay, you can put it down. Hang on to it. I'll come get it in just a second, okay? Now, compare this with the other man in the passage. How does the Bible describe him? He looketh into the word of God. And what does it say? Continueth therein. Being obedient doer of it, uh, of the work, 
Uh, and he says what? Well, he receives an eternal blessing. Okay, so he looks into it. He, he continues therein. He's a doer of the work, and he receives eternal blessing. Now, now get this. In this passage, or in this description, the word looketh conveys the idea of intense scrutiny. It requires literally one, uh, the idea of stooping down and getting right in front of that mirror and, and looking in it in order to see. It's all, it, sometimes it is translated as stoop down. Okay, so it's for sake of illustration, it's bringing this mirror close. Man, I see me shave and trim and <laughs> got something here. I need to fix this here. And boy, now, now we're looking at it. And some of us did that today, right? Make sure there's nothing on our teeth and, and, and so forth. We, intense scrutiny. Now it's close. It's right here. It's right. I, I brought it right here. Intense scrutiny. Can we put it this way spiritually? It, it's the idea of grabbing this mirror and studying it intensely. And then we say, okay, as you did this morning, you didn't maybe think this but as you got dressed and you got ready, you said this. What, what is it revealing about me that needs to be fixed? Where are my flaws? Where don't I look presentable? Where am I not perfect? In what way have I not meet up to the standard that I want to present? What, what have I neglected? What, oh man, I didn't even comb my hair. It reveals something. The things I've neglected, the things I haven't done, the things that I haven't addressed in my own life. Boy, isn't this, now listen to me, isn't this totally different than when it's down there? Oh, yeah. Here, I mean, I'm not getting anything here. It's not, I'm not learning much. I'm not picking up on much. But boy, I stick it here. I can start to see things revealed. I can start to see things, man, I need to work on that. I need to fix that. I need to get that taken care of. However you want to do it. You know, the Bible says this. You and I are deceiving ourselves when we hear God's word and we treat it like a mirror way over there. It's far away, and we don't intensely allow it to scrutinize, uh, scrutinize us. We have neglected that tool, the mirror of God's word. May I just put it this way? Can I just apply it in my own life and yours? How soon we forget what we've just read in our devotions. How we treat our devotions like way over there. Okay, I read my verse for today. Okay, I'm fine. And we forget. We don't apply it. We don't take it, that tool with us. And, and I love that picture because, you know, I've seen some people, especially ladies, boy, every few minutes they can pull out a mirror of their purse. They're checking. They're checking. They're checking. Can I tell you, spiritually, you, if you carry your Bible everywhere, that's fantastic, but you ought to carry the Word of God here and here. And it ought to be a constant tool you use, a mirror you constantly look at, you evaluate. Now, wait a minute. When I'm a thinking, is, is that kind? Is it tenderhearted? Is it forget? Is it the kind of words that edifies, that season with grace? And I'm constantly using God's word as the mirror that, that it ought to be, that God says it is, to look at myself. What does it reveal? What's wrong? What have I neglected? What does it match what I should look like as a Christian? How soon we forget what the sermon was about last week and this past Wednesday, that, uh, the word that God has spoken and challenged me about, the, uh, the Holy Spirit has pricked my heart about this past week, how soon we forget those things, how often we hear it, but we stop there, we stand afar off from God's word, we glance at it, and we fail miserably. And taking the mirror with us in our hearts and our minds as we endeavor to be not just a hearer of God's word, but a doer. One who remembers what we see every time we intensely glaze, we intensely gaze into the Word of God. My friend, there's three tools that God wants you and I to carry with us and take with us every day. 
every moment of every day. The first is the hammer that is God's word. He wants us to wield it in such a way, to use it in such a way that it demolishes every ungodly and every unchristlike imagination, every high thing that is contrary to what we know about God and his wishes. Swing it, friend. Hey, Christian, would you swing it this week? Would you pick up that hammer? Don't let the wrong kind of construction take place. Don't let those strongholds of the devil in this world and the flesh take hold. Don't let them be constructed in your life. Number two, it is the sword that is God's word. Let it be that skilled judge. And you know what else I like about that picture? Not just a skilled judge, but let it be the executioner of the wrong intents and thoughts of your heart. Let it put it into death. Let it make sure that every thought and intent of your heart is true and pure and righteous. It's pleasing to our Savior. How does that happen? We've got to be familiar with it. We have to frequently use it. We have to commit it to memory. We have to practice with it. We have to know how to yield it when the time comes. Pick up the sword and wield it, believer. Make sure it isn't a butter knife this week because of your infrequent use of it and your lack of familiarity with it. Then last but not least, the mirror that is God's word. Use it to study intently to reveal, or study it intently to reveal what needs fixing, what needs attention in my life on a daily basis. How can Stephen Henry become more like Christ today? What is it that's, that, that's not all that it should be in my life? Show me what needs to be done so that the doing that needs to take place in my life will get done. Carry it with you, friend. Study it intensely. Don't be a forgetful hearer. I just simply ask you today, what, what tool are you lacking? What tool this week stayed in the toolbox? What didn't come out in that hammer of God's word, the sword of God's word, the mirror of God's word? You know, I mentioned it earlier in the message. I, I like a good Swiss Army knife. Those are fun. But you know what? Sometimes you can have all those tools, but I've seen many a person with a Swiss Army knife hardly use any of them. What makes a Swiss Army knife so special? All the things that it can do. But it's only special if it doesn't. What makes God's word so special? All the things it can do. Is it doing them in your life? Are you wielding it? Are you using it? Are you allowing it to be the tool God intended it to be? Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that we would take it to heart this morning. I pray in this invitation, Lord, that we would be smitten in our own hearts. Use the, the hammer of your word to challenge us about our failures. And Lord, maybe there's some strongholds that need to be torn down even this morning. I pray you'd lead us in that, that you'd guide us and direct us in, in doing just that through your word. Father, I pray that, Lord, when we faltered and failed to pick it up as the sword, Lord, we're infrequent in its use. We're not familiar you're with it convict us of that lord i pray that this will be a great week of wielding the sword of your word father i pray that if we haven't used your word as the mirror that we ought to lord i i pray this morning we have gazed intently into it and that you have shown us what we have neglected you have revealed what is not right not all that it should be and lord i pray that through your help your holy spirit and your word we get that fixed may your word be that mirror we carry with us Revealing what needs to be fixed, our heart where it needs to be mended, and how we need to keep it diligently. And then, Father, I pray that the doings of our life would match a heart that seeks to please you. Lord, blessing everyone here. You know the needs. You know the, uh, where they're at. You know where each one of us needs to grow. I pray you would put your finger upon it. You draw us closer to that, and then you would do what needs to do, be done to take place to help us to grow in those ways. Bless in this invitation as only you can.
With heads bowed and eyes closed, I ask you to join me in standing all across the auditorium. Piano begins to play. And my friend, let's you and I do business this morning. Let's pick up God's word. Let's confess where we haven't wielded it as we ought to, where we haven't used it for what it should be. And then let's ask for help and strength to see that done, Father. Would you do that? Would you just pray to your Father and just say, Lord, help me here. What I haven't done as I ought to. I need to do better in this. Heads bowed, eyes are closed. Folks are doing business there at the pew, at this altar. How about you, friend? What's it look like?